Spirit Radio Podcasts. So my next guest actually came into Spirit Radio last year as a prayer coach. And I was actually away on maternity leave at the moment. But from what I believe, uh, he made a big impression on everybody here at Spirit Radio. He is a psychologist who has a deep understanding of something that maybe we struggle to accept that how our brokenness can always be used to be something beautiful as only if we allow God to use it he's coming to Ireland in October for a number of events called A Journey to the Potter's House plus two training days for people involved in ministry on the line to tell us a little bit about this joining us from the east coast of the US we have Dr. Michael Ferris good morning Dr. Ferris how are you? Uh, Good morning Wendy I'm very well and how are you? It's a great day to be chatting to you. First of all, for those who missed you first time around on Spirit Radio, tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. A little bit about myself. Well, born and raised in New York. And uh, let's see, I grew up in New York. And then from New York, I I had a kind of an unfortunate start. Spent a lot of time just in the street. Uh, uh, My mother ran away when I was uh, 15 years old. And yeah, my father wasn't too interested in being a father. I have two sisters, and we just uh, we grew up on the street. And then at age 19, I went into the Navy uh, just as a way of finding a, some some security, a place where I can get three meals a day. And while I was in the Navy, I, I was selected uh, through a fairly rigorous process, and I became a deep-sea diver. Uh, and it was during my time uh, training as a deep-sea diver that I came to faith in Christ. What was it? And was it just seeing kind of nature in deep sea or or just all, all that time underwater thinking as you were working? Or what was it, the, the spark that started it all? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Wendy, actually, uh, there's a lot of people of faith in the military. Uh, I guess when you're in a situation like that, everybody wants all the help they can get. So there's a lot of people of faith. But I met some people who were born-again Christians. Uh, I'd never met them before, and I uh, was always interested in just God, kind of believed in God. Like you say, you look around and all of nature declares the, uh, you know, the glory of God. And so I would talk to them, ask them a lot of questions, and, and was very interested. And then when they would press me uh, you know, to make a commitment to accept Christ, I would shut them right down and uh, wasn't interested in taking that step. And one uh, one day I was uh, driving with a friend of mine on the highway, and he said to me, Mike, if we were killed in a car accident right now, uh, where do you think you would go? And I knew he was trying to set me up, and I would not give it to him. And I said, I think I will go to heaven. And he says, you think you will go to heaven? And I said, yes, I think I stand just a good, as good a chance as anybody else. I think I would go to heaven. And he said, well, I know I'll go. My Bible says by this you know you have eternal life, and you only think, and that's not good enough for me. And I said, well, it's good enough for me. And that was the end of our conversation. Uh, that following week, I was uh, in, the, in a diving operation, and I had you know, the big heavy metal helmet that you typically think of when you think of a deep-sea diver. Uh, that helmet weighs 73 pounds. And then you have a a weight belt that hangs on your shoulders that weighs 75 pounds. So you have 150 pounds on your shoulders. And and I was in an underwater accident, and I was actually buried alive underwater. And I was under the the mud. I couldn't couldn't extricate myself. I was uh, several hundred yards from the diving barge. And when I fell under the mud, the mud came over me. My, My feet were above my head. 
and the air that would normally exhaust through the back of your helmet began filtering into my suit and separating my suit from my body. And then water began to leak into my suit and, and trickling down my back and uh, dropping into my helmet. And so my helmet, I'm, I'm slightly upside down and my helmet is starting to fill with water. And uh, when divers die underwater, uh, most of the time they drowned in their equipment. And so that, I, that's I knew what was that. Going through your head. What was going through my head? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what your question yeah, went? Yeah, what, what, well, what was going I through knew, your mind? I, yeah, well, I knew that that death was probably going to be imminent. And inside your helmet, there's a little transmitter and receiver, and you you can talk, you know. And so I'm t- telling people on the top side what's going on, and they're racing to get a um, standby diver in the water, and I couldn't get out. And all of a sudden. Everything in my helmet, the communications just shut off, the air shut off, and it was complete darkness, utter darkness. And I had no sensation of my body because there's no gravity underwater, I had no light. And I thought what happened was there was an explosion and I was killed. And one of the things they tell you when you die underwater, that uh, even though your lungs will fill with water, your heart's going to stop beating, you're going to have about three minutes of oxygen in your brain. So you'll still have some cognitive functioning until you, you, you die. And so I thought there was an explosion. I thought I was killed, and it's just a few moments now, and I'm going to fade out of consciousness, and I will be dead. And it was at that moment I heard an audible voice, <laughs> and it simply said to me this. It said, where do you think you're going to go now? And I knew that was God. And I, I wasn't so arrogant, and I said, I don't know. But if you get me out of this mess, I'll find out what I need to know, to know where I'll go. And immediately my, my air was back on, my communications was back on, and, and obviously I didn't die. I was extricated from that ordeal. That night I went downtown into the, to the city, started walking up and down the streets, just walking up to complete strangers saying, hey, what's your religion? I'm looking for God. And I got very serious in my search for God. And I started talking to all the different, anybody who had a religion, I would talk to them. I started going to the library, reading books on religions and philosophies, and nothing was working for me, Wendy. So you were just searching, searching, searching. Yeah, but nothing was working. And I grew up up Italian, Italian Catholic, and so I had an understanding of God, but it was just an intellectual thing. There was nothing that was hooking my soul. And then... One night, I just was at the library, and I closed the last book, and I said, nothing. Nothing is, is, is hooking me. And I just, I just felt this impression in my heart, what about Jesus? And I thought, well, I'm Catholic. You know, I grew up Catholic. I know about Jesus. But it was like, no, what about Jesus? And I thought, well, where do you get a book on Jesus? You know, I didn't know they had Christian books or Christian music. That was such a foreign concept. You grew up in the street like I did. None of that stuff. And so, uh, you know, I, I got the World Book Encyclopedia, started reading about Jesus, and, and there was one thing that Jesus boasts that no other religious leader boasts, no other teaching offers, and that is the empty tomb. And Jesus is the only one who has one of them. You know, you could go out into the Middle East, you could go to Muhammad's tomb, and, and, and you'll see his grave, his bones will be in that grave. You go to Buddha's tomb. You'll, you'll find his body there, but when you go to Jesus' tomb, you're going to look high and you're going to look low, and it's going to be empty. 
because he's the only one that has an empty tomb. And when I read that, I thought there's something transcendent about Christ. And that's what I want because I need all the help I could get. And so I, I cast aside all these other pursuits and I just began pursuing Jesus. And after several months, I'm a hard sell, <laughs> but after several months, uh, I, I, I said yes to, to Christ. And that was, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you how many years ago that was, um, but uh, it was a good 40 years now. Dr. Ferris, and, you, you uh, have this incredible story, you know, that near-death experience that you had that that was the catalyst for you looking for answers and thank god finding them um and i know you're trying to think of a way to get other people to think about god um the way you started to think about it uh, but people mightn't think of the art of pottery making uh, as a way to do that tell us a little bit about this well okay so as part of after i after i came to faith in christ and i finished my tour duty and then life went on and I ended up going to school and uh, you know earned a few graduate degrees I actually had three of them um, and and I had a practice as a counseling psychologist and a marriage and family therapist and my heart has always been to help people find hope and healing from the emotional pain in their life because we all have it Wendy life is is, is hard and you know Jesus said in John 16 33 in this world we're going to have tribulation this is God's way of saying life is hard and so all of us, we go through life and, and we're, we, we, we become wounded. And so my heart has always been to help people uh, find healing from that because, of, because it doesn't matter how much theology a person knows. You're only going to be as spiritually healthy as you are emotionally healthy. And so you have to address those wounds to your soul. And so uh, that was my practice, the essence of my practice. Uh, and, and now I have four, four children. I have four daughters. And when my daughters were little, I would try to do a, a something special with each one of them. And so I was uh, doing some pottery with one of my girls, and uh, uh, we we were doing that for about maybe two months. And and then the person who was teaching us couldn't teach us anymore, but I I liked it, so I bought a wheel and I I just kept practicing. Well, at the same time, I'm also an adjunct professor at a graduate school just outside of New York City. And I will teach counseling at a graduate level there. And one of my philosophical assumptions is that if you're going to be effective as a counselor, you have to counsel from your own place of brokenness and not out of a book. Because anybody could read a book and parrot back what that book says. But if you haven't taken that journey yourself, you're not going to know what to do with your clients when you bring them to places you have never been and you're going to hurt them. So clinically, you will be dangerous. So... Uh, if part of this class, we do this exercise where we are going to rewrite our life story. And uh, as a way of preparing them, my students, for this, this lesson, I tell them the story about Joseph in the book of Genesis, uh, beginning, I think it's in chapter 38 through to the end. And, you know, we, we, we may be familiar with the story, Jacob's son, the coat of many colors, and his brothers betray him. He gets sent to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife sets him up. He goes to jail. His friends forget him. And then through a series of God events, he is elevated to prime minister of Egypt, uh, second most powerful position in the world at that time. And there's a famine in the land. He brings his family into Egypt. His father dies. And now his brothers come to him and they lie to him. And they say, when dad was still alive, he told us to tell you that when he dies, to have mercy on us for what we did to you, which 
which speaks to the far-reaching effects that guilt has over a person's life. They carried this with them all these years. And then he says to them in verse 20 of chapter 50, he says, Am I in the place of God? What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And you'll often hear Christians quote this uh, scripture as they try to encourage their friends through a difficult season. But to me, what's powerful about this verse is the second half of it, which you don't hear Christians quoting. And he goes on to say, you know, what you intended for harm, God intended for good, part two. Now he says, for what's happening right now, the saving of many lives. And I, I tell my class, it wasn't two different things that happened to Joseph, something bad from the devil and something good from God. It was a series of terrible things that happened to him over the course of about 13 to 15 years. And inherent in those terrible things was the potential for two different outcomes. Uh, Joseph could have grown up angry and bitter and jealous and resentful and depressed and cynical, or he could have transcended those. So I said, what determined Joseph's outcome? I believe it was his choice, how he chose to hold on to faith, how he chose to believe in a sovereign God, that there was something good that could come out of something bad. And as a result, God elevates him to a place of power and influence. So with this, I say to my class, okay, these terrible things that happened to you, that rape, that molestation, that abortion, that divorce, that growing up in an alcoholic family, et cetera, et cetera, inherent in those terrible things is the potential for two different outcomes. You can grow up angry and bitter and addicted and jealous and resentful and depressed and cynical, or you can transcend those things. Now, what's going to determine your outcome? I believe it's the same thing that determined Joseph's. How are you going to choose to respond to those events in your life? Well, with this as a background now, we begin this exercise of rewriting our life story. And God says, you're going to search for me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so we go back to these dark seasons in our life, and we do not leave them until we can find God in them. And this spiritual paradox here, Wendy, is that when we respond to our suffering well, our suffering then becomes the gift that God gives us to give back to this hurting world. So here are our classes underway now, and we're about two-thirds into the semester, and I'm home one day in my little shop, and I'm making pottery. And I'm thinking of the order of operations. And, and God gets a hold of me. And he said, Mike, you understand this as it relates to fashioning clay, but don't you realize this is what I've been doing in your life as I'm fashioning your life into the plans I have for you. And, and I sat there and God gave me like this overview of my life, showed me just the unfortunate context that I grew up in, growing up in the street and the way I hurt people and the way people hurt me. And, and God said, Mike, if you'll give me this now, not just in word, the way Christians will say, oh, Jesus, take my broken life, but then they don't let Jesus do anything with it. God said, if you, if you give me your life, tell your story, be transparent with your life, I'll do with your life the same thing I did with Joseph's. I'll use it for the saving of many lives, but now in a spiritual sense. And when I got that revelation, I sat at my potter's wheel and I said, okay, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you all my shame all of my brokenness. And then I said, just don't hurt me with it. See, because I don't want God, I don't want to have to look at that stuff any more than you want to look at it in your life. And, but God doesn't do that. The Bible says love covers, love covers a multitude of sins. And I, and I just broke down and I wept 
And when I was all done, I said, I've got to show this to my class because this is what my class is all about. And so I brought my potter's wheel into my class. And of course, we know the Bible uh, refers to God, uses lots of metaphors. And one of those is that God is like a potter and people are like clay, Isaiah 64, 8. And, and so I just started making pottery. And I would say to my class, okay, Wendy, remember that thing you shared with the class that happened to you? Can you see how God used that to shape your life and bring you right to where you are right now? Okay, Steve, remember that thing you shared with the class that happened to you? Well, Wendy, the Holy Spirit showed up in that class. There was about 25 adult students in that class, and the place was a wreck. People were sitting at their desks sobbing. It was this powerful God moment. And then uh, later that week, unbeknownst to me, uh, there was a uh, the wife of a pastor in that classroom. And later that week, her husband called me, and he said, uh, you know, my wife, was Susan, was in your class. And I said, yes, I know Susan. She was about 50 years old. And he said, well, she came home from your class the other day really shaken up, and she hasn't been the same. And I thought, oh, boy, he's upset with me now, and I'm just waiting, and I'm praying, God, give me a soft answer to turn away this man's wrath. And uh, he, he softens his voice, and he says, well, we pastor a church here in southern Connecticut. He goes, would you come to our church and do this for our people? And so I, I did. I just brought my potter's wheel to his church and set it up, started making pottery. I didn't know what I was going to say or what I was going to do, but God used it the way he uses simple things to confound the wise and weak things to confound the mighty. And, and uh, you know, people responded. They were crying, and God touched lives. And and a week later, I got a call from somebody else. Hey, you were the buddy of mine's church. Would you come to our church and do this? And and people began calling me. I wasn't advertising, and I, I've always had a, the heart of an evangelist. And so I was asking God to help me shape the message into a into a, a response where people would, would deepen their faith in Christ and find healing for the emotional pain in their life. And, and then people were calling me for the next year, and I thought, I'm going to write it in my book to see how many people call me. And I was in 33 churches the next year. 43 the year after, 65 churches the year after that. And you're going to be, of uh, course, in Ireland. uh, The speaking continues. Tell us a little bit briefly before we have to uh, wrap up the show. Unfortunately, even though we could keep chatting, it really is an incredible story that you tell, Dr. Ferris. But tell us about the training days you're going to be doing in Ireland in October. What are they about and who are they for? Well, we're actually, there's a a Facebook page that they're setting up called The Journey to the Potter's House, Ireland. And there uh, you'll see our schedule. And I have developed this teaching I do with the Potter's Wheel. I travel around. I've been doing it for 11 years now. Millions of people have seen this. Our DVD will be in 17 countries by the end of this year. And I'll be in Ireland uh, for the month of October. And then uh, we'll be going over to Wales, England, and Scotland. And we'll be traveling around doing this uh, pottery illustration and the message that it conveys. And then we're also going to be doing uh, two uh, full-day, six-hour workshops uh, in a, a model, it's called a counseling model for people in ministry. I have been in hundreds and hundreds of churches over the last 11 years, and this is my full-time calling now. And I went to, to a seminary, I'm a missionary now, I travel around with this. And as, because of my background as a psychologist and family therapist, uh, pastors often ask me if there isn't some kind of training that they can get, that, that their church can get, that can equip people in the body of Christ with some counseling skills that will not require them to go back to graduate school and get a graduate degree in counseling. And so I developed this workshop uh, to meet that need. And it is a tremendous workshop. I get just tons of very favorable reviews from this workshop. 
It's a six-hour workshop, and I will be doing it twice uh, during the month of October when I'm with you there in Ireland. We'll be doing it uh, on Saturday, October the 6th, which, uh, interestingly enough, happens to be my birthday. And we will be doing that in Port Leash uh, at Life Church, uh, and then we will be doing it again on uh, Saturday, October the 30th, 13th. October the 13th at Discovery Church in Galloway. And you can uh, register, sign up for this, get more information. You can contact uh, John Lowry there in uh, Ireland. His his phone number is 087-419-6937. That's 087-419-6937. And this is a six-hour workshop, and I will teach you Uh, a a model of counseling and a framework to work within. And I will equip you with some counseling skills. And you, if you can practice these skills and learn them well, you will become an excellent, excellent counselor. You'll be able to come alongside uh, those who are hurting and and just guide them on a path uh, toward healing and a deeper relationship with Christ. So it's it's an exciting workshop. Again, I get a lot of favorable reviews for this. And I'm excited to share it with you when I'm there in October. Well, Dr. Michael Ferris, thank you so much for telling us a little bit of your story and for sharing a bit of the work that you do. Please, God, we'll chat to you in studio when you're in Ireland in October. Thanks for joining us on Spirit Radio this morning. That was Dr. Michael Ferris, who, as you mentioned, is coming to Ireland in October. His two training days, the counselling model for people in ministry, take place in the Life Church in Port Leash on Saturday the 6th of October and Discovery Community Church in Galway on Saturday the 13th of October. If you're interested in attending one of these days, you can contact John Larry on 087-419-6937. That's John on 087-419-6937. Thanks for listening to our Spirit Radio podcast. Don't miss out. Subscribe today. Find out how at spiritradio.ie.